So I'm standing on a ledge in the middle of a jungle, looking down and seeing about a 100 foot, maybe 200 foot drop. I don't know, I'm a terrible judge of distance. But I am at least strapped to a zip line with a helmet and all the things. And there's people on the other end saying, come on, you can do it. And I'm standing there so scared for my life. And, you know, then you start flashing to, didn't a honeymoon couple, like someone crashed on a zip line and all these things go through your head. And then finally, I just had to take a deep breath, say it's going to be okay, and let go. And it was so fun and so exhilarating. But there was a lot of risk in that split-second decision. Welcome to Diary of a Worthy Pursuit. Where we talk about how to get what you truly want in life and in business. You know, it's funny. I was on a zip line the other day, or I don't know, a couple weeks ago, something like that. And I feel like I ran out of adrenaline. I don't know, you do like nine or whatever runs. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, five or six, your body's just like, you're not going to die because we don't have any more chemicals for you to bleed if you're going <laughs> to die. So, but that initial jump, how did that one feel? Not great. Yeah. Not great. I mean, it was, you're right, right? The initial, good, whatever, right. get off uh, is challenging. But once you're going, you're kind of at the mercy of the cable. Yeah. So my biggest fear was coming to a landing. At the, I don't know, you, you yeah, call it a landing end. or whatever? Sure. Where you crash against a tree or something like that? Because <laughs> well, hopefully you avoid that part. Yeah, I've been to one where they actually gave you a break. Okay. And it was just this chunk of rubber. And I remember I squeezed on it and the chunk of rubber left. <gasps> it came That's out. That's not scary at all. Yeah. So time, this particular one gave you gloves. So you yeah. use the gloves, right? And then just crash into a tree with pads on it. Uh, this last one that we went to actually had the smart zipline person leader yeah have some cable thing that was actually way more sophisticated and much better for breaking so yeah. then once you do that a few times you're like oh i'm not gonna die you're crashing right. into a tree <laughs> so but initially cool. you don't know that right so there's this huge risk yeah that you're taking yeah. of leaning in and being mm -hmm. like i'm gonna do this i don't know how this is gonna work out yeah i'm always looking at the cables thinking okay who was the last guy that looked at this and how is he like, this tree will hold, uh -huh. <laughs> or this cable looks, yeah, so tough. But in the end, it's risk versus reward. You get a lot of fun. No one tells the story about the time they sat on a couch. Right, rarely. I, I hope they don't, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's what we want to talk about today is how to lean into risk. Because starting a business or even running out of business and trying to grow it can be extremely risky. Mm -hmm. Even just starting a new diet or health regimen or something like that, yeah. or deciding to have a kid, picking a college, whatever, all that stuff. There's some facet of risk. Yeah. Well, and then even within your business, when you think about, well, starting your business is, is a huge risk. Mm -hmm. But then you think about hiring an employee, hiring your first em employee, hiring someone to outsource something mm -hmm. to, you know, are they going to do this right? Or are they going to give me a bad name? Uh, and then just taking on you know, big clients going after big deals. There's a lot of things that really make you question, is this worth what I'm going to put right. into it? Fair. I can, um, to me, the rule is that security is an illusion. And if I remember 9-11, um, right? 9-11, airplanes, buildings, all that kind of stuff. A buddy of mine said, it's never going to be the same to fly again. They're going to come up with some weird rules. And I'm like, come on. How can they do that overnight? And lo and behold, TSA comes around, metal detectors, suitcases, whatever, take yeah. off your shoes, take off your belt, all kinds of weird hold up your arm kind of stuff. Right. 
And I remember way back when you used to be able to hug your loved ones before they got on the plane. Right. Now you hug them when you drop them off, mm -hmm. right? And they got to go wait for two hours, whatever. And I still remember him saying like, oh my gosh. But then you still hear about bad things happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think, is all of this an illusion? All of this is to, to appease us, to make us feel better. Like nothing bad can happen, mm -hmm. right? Because I got to take my shoes off. Right. But is it just kind of a song and dance? Is that we feel better? Or is it actually accomplishing anything? Well, I think in the same, in the same idea, you think about like a full-time job mm -hmm. and how you think of that as secure income. You right. Know, things aren't, no matter what happens, at least I have that paycheck coming. My family is okay. But mm -hmm. again, to your point, you you don't know what's going to happen. No. You know, pandemic I, shows up. Pandemic <laughs> shows up. People's jobs get cut. People get downsized. It's just... You really can't predict where the world's going to head, even though a lot of us would like to think that we're in control. It's that. I would love to believe that. That is an illusion as well. I believe we have an influence, but we don't control a lot of things we like to think that we do. Yeah. And I so that security, really that security of a paycheck, I think is one of those things that we, when we think about starting a business, it's like, I don't know if I can leave this. Like, right. if this thing over here doesn't work out, I'm leaving the security, the stability. Mm -hmm. And... To your point earlier, it was almost, it's like the uh, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Right. Right? So I may not like this job, but at least I know what to expect. Yeah, right? And know. there's a risk of moving into something that you don't know where it's going to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, my wife's teacher. Pandemic happens. She starts teaching online via Zoom mm -hmm. like we all had to do. Right. And I said, uh, I walked past and I saw her screen. And it was all these black boxes because none of her students had their screens, their cameras on. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, a teacher could teach to 500 empty screens. You don't need one teacher for every 25 or 30 kids. So I asked her, do you think this is a permanent thing or could it be a permanent thing? And what if school districts realize like, oh, the students, like it doesn't matter if it's 5,000 kids, right? Yeah. We could get away with a tenth of the teachers that we have. Wow. And a strong argument could be made like that's not realistic, that's not logical, blah, 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 right? These are the studies. But you could also argue school districts don't always pay attention to that. So. Well, and I also think that education is ripe for disruption. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's certain industries where you come along, um, like video conferencing pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. just was kind of a clunky thing. Very didn't clunky. really happen. And then they had to like sprint fast and far in, yeah. in six months. And now that world is completely different, mm -hmm. right? So education, more specifically, I think college than maybe elementary school or high school though are ripe for, for disruption. Because there's but, less of a social aspect within the individual classes. Mm -hmm. But what I think is interesting about that is as soon as people start asking the question, well, what if? Mm -hmm. Or what if, you know, what could happen? Or is that really necessary? Right. Then, yeah, there are huge questions to security and a lot of risks that can be taken. Yeah. You also raised a good point about the hiring employees. I was just talking with a good friend of mine yesterday, and she's like, how do you find hiring people that are working from home? And it's interesting because I said it and I realized it as I said it. I'm like, we're finding people that are very smart and very driven and they have some form of baggage and that's the reason that they have to work from home or that they believe that they have to work from home. Mm -hmm. That baggage could be health on their own. Sure. It could be a loved one that has some health issues, mm -hmm. grandma, mom, whatever. It could be they have a kid that 
need some help of some kind, mm -hmm. or an often one, uh, more than I'd like to, <laughs> that I think is realistic, is that they want to take care of their newborn and hold a oh, job. Oh, yeah. And we don't pay people to babysit. So right. it's interesting how my job in the interview is to find their baggage and just see, yeah. can we tolerate whatever baggage you have, knowing that they have some. Right. So we're trying to look at the risk of hiring that person. Like, what are the chances that you won't be able to come into work because you got to take care of grandma or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. So it's interesting that I'm risking to have the business, right? Just like every business owner right. is. And I'm risking to hire the employee. But then the employee is risking when they take the job. Is this a legitimate company? Mm -hmm. Are they going to bounce the paychecks? Right. Is it going to be a huge pain? Are the people that I work with going to be weirdos? Whatever. Well, or also... When the inevitable happens and I have to call off to take care of grandma or something happens with my health, if that's truly the kind of person that ends up working for you, is this company going to put their money where their mouth is? Are they going to be okay with this flexibility? Right. Especially in a work-from-home job because mm -hmm. I think that there are certain organizations that are really pulling back now on this remote work. Absolutely. They initially were like, oh, yeah, this is great. There was just a... A friend of mine works for an organization that was very into hybrid and remote work, and they've recently started pulling back those reins, mm. pulling people in, and they're citing productivity and profitability when it's it's just really interesting to me that I think that, again, they're not leaning into this risk of, yeah, there's a risk that your people may work differently or may work different hours, mm -hmm. but if they're still doing the work, is that worth the risk? Yeah, I guess, yeah, going down that rabbit hole, right? I mean, yeah. I see a lot of tech companies that have the finances, they have the resources and stuff like that to make something happen, and they're bringing people back to the office. Mm -hmm. And my little call answering company, we're like, no, we can stay remote. Yeah. So there's, uh, it's interesting, very interesting dynamic to see how it's changing and the risk on, on both ends. Yeah. So, but... I mean, for the big companies that are saying, come on back to the office. I've even talked to a guy yesterday. I met, uh, waiting for my friend at a bar. His company, very large company, he works in IT for that company. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him trying to figure out the logistics. But the company that he worked for said, you got to come back 20% of the time. And what's even more confusing, I feel bad for this guy. Because it sounds like this was a decision that was made high level. Sure. So they're looking at data, not necessarily individual people. Mm -hmm. And so they had property, beautiful campus, sold that, and now they have third floor in some office. So they don't have enough workspaces for everyone to come in. But they still want you to come in 20% of the time, which is essentially one day a week. Right. So now you have to juggle when you get to use this desk. Yeah, make it even harder. Like, oh my gosh, right. you just took a somewhat simple thing, made it a problem, and then made it more of a problem. Right. Well, and I think what's interesting for a lot of these companies, too, is leaning into the risk of it's the unknown. Totally. But my husband works for a software company, and one of the things that they look at when they recruit is who are they going up against and the benefits that they need to provide mm. to win over candidates that are also looking at other big tech companies in Silicon Valley, in New York City, in Chicago, in Austin, wherever. And so... They're risking, you know, the fact that this person's going to be worth it and going to be a good worker, yet we're going to pay them more in these benefits and these perks and those sorts of things, hoping that this figures out mm -hmm. and, you know, this works out and that this investment is worth it because we're going to recruit better people, right? But 
therein lies our risk too. You have to you have to invest first mm -hmm. before you understand if there's a reward or not. Right. Which I think falls into this idea too that we were talking about a little bit before we turned on the cameras today, and that's the the risk has to come before any kind of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great line. Well, and I I got it from this fearless living camp that a friend of mine is doing that's been so helpful. But I think what was really interesting about it and the reason it's really resonated with me is when you start a business, you're waiting for the confidence. You know, and sometimes you're like, oh, someday I'm going to feel it and this is just going to take off mm -hmm. and explode, right? And maybe not everyone's like that, but I'm like, oh, there's, I'm just going to get this light inside of me and then this thing's going to take off. And what I feel like enough people don't recognize, or maybe I just am assuming that more people are like me and don't recognize this, is that you have to take some risks mm -hmm. and then the confidence will come later. But so many people have to are scared of the thing and have to do the thing anyway and only later realize that, hey, I was really good at that thing and turns out that paid off. Turns yes. out that could not have paid off too, mm -hmm. right? But you will never know if that thing was worth it if you don't take the risk and try it. Right, there's going to be fear as a driver, mm -hmm. so you have to understand what. Or you're a paralyzer. Thing. Or a paralyzer. Right. But yeah, I guess in the end, it comes down to perspective. Mm -hmm. Is this fear? Well, I guess this is where I say use logic versus emotion. Mm. It's fear is an emotion. Yeah. But you can look at something like your zip line, right? You can look at that logically and be like, okay, thousands of people have done this. Mm -hmm. The people that are leading this have done it thousands of times. Yeah. We're on trees that have been here 50 years, whatever. You couldn't knock it down with a bulldozer. We're fine, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're fine. We're out of our element, so this fear is truly unfounded. Mm -hmm. So, and you can just move on with your life. Or you can get paralyzed and say, oh, oh my gosh, think of pandemic, right? Yeah. How people reacted to that. I can't go outside. I don't want to even go to the grocery store. I want everything delivered, and I want it sanitized once it gets here. Right, wearing your body condom. <laughs> yeah, we all kind of did some crazy things. Yeah, <laughs> right. In the pandemic, no judgment. But I think a girlfriend of mine who had kids before I did, uh, I think her oldest was like eight or nine by the time I had my first kid. And she says this thing that I continue to come back to. It's you have to think in probability, not ah, possibility, sure. which kind of is a different way of saying the same thing, logic Very versus sure. reason, right? So she's like, when you have a kid, your heart's on your sleeve. You don't know what's going to happen to them, but you can't keep them sheltered. You got to let them out in the world, right? right? So when they go to daycare, they could catch every single thing. They could get hand, foot, and mouth, and strep, and the flu, and all these other things, but you have to lean into the probability of if they catch those things, how bad are they really going to be versus the possibility of they could catch the flu and they could die from that. Right. You know, and that's also crippling, mm -hmm. that feeling of worry. So I think the idea of how can we take the feelings that come with fear and risk and try to transition them into something that's a little bit more empowering, mm -hmm. that really pushes you forward or at least helps you rewrite the internal story you're telling yourself so you can motivate yourself enough to take the risk. Because you're not going to know whether or not it was a good choice until after the fact. Right. Yeah, after just hindsight 2020. Right, kind of exactly. It's a very interesting point about the story that you're telling yourself. I even think of my kid when you let him go bike around the neighborhood with his buddies. Yeah. And I'm like, eh. But then I think when I was nine, we were gone the whole day. Right. And if somebody would have knocked on my parents' door and said, hey, where's your kid? They would have a ballpark idea of a square two miles, maybe yeah. three. Like somewhere in this vicinity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's no GPS tracker or anything right. like that. There's no phone. And I probably didn't even have a dime to make a call if I needed sure. to. 
you know, if you got hurt, you just rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Know, you move right. on with your life. So it's interesting how being a parent now, you're like, yeah. Right, and you but freak you gotta out. you got to let them go. Right. Well, and that, again, parenting is a huge lean <laughs> into risk, right? That's a whole different side of this. But I think what's really interesting is that having risk is just a part of life because mm -hmm. if you don't take risks, to your point, you're going to end up on the couch. And what kind of story is that when you get to the end of your life? You know, I was... Uh, Initially, I've, I've always wanted to write a book, and one of the, the ideas that I had for this was I want to go out and interview people who are later in life and ask them what do they wish they would have done that they didn't, what are their regrets. Oh. And it turns out people have written books like this, so it's not a new idea. I'm reading a book called Boulder. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just started it last night. But I think what is really interesting and one of the things that people say aren't the things that they didn't do or aren't the things that they did, but the things they didn't do. Uh. Right? I wish I would have started the business. I wish I would have gone on that trip. I wish I would have, you know, taken that job or taken that chance. And, you know, to your point, sitting on your couch is just not a good no. story. I suppose it's really tough to tell a story about that time that you didn't jump out of the airplane. Yeah, right. Who's going right? to Like everybody that? else is jumping. They're like, whoa. When you're just like, yeah, it's a like good the, story, a really yeah, good story. My friends used to call that that, and then I found five dollars because if your story doesn't have a point, you need to add some kind of excitement. And oh. if your story's like, and I didn't jump out of the plane, but I found twenty dollars, then oh. then your story's <laughs> oh, cool, nice. right? So if you have to end all your stories like that, then they're not great stories. Oh, funny. I suppose you don't want to be on your deathbed, right? If only I watch more Netflix. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who's really gonna say that? That's funny. Uh, we also talk, okay, we got fun is rare. We have uh, risk before confidence. We also have backup plans for risk. Yeah. So knowing that you, a little bit of a safety net, I suppose, mm -hmm. or just knowing that there's a, a plan B or a plan Q. Yeah. Uh, we, so it's funny. I start, I, um, man, I had so many jobs before I started my business. One of them was delivering beer. Mm -hmm. And I got my CDL driver's license, right? Okay. So I can drive big trucks. And... I got that CDL after you could be grandfathered in, so you get it once and it's forever. Mm -hmm. I have to go get a physical every couple of years to make sure that I'm not dead or whatever. So because they and, don't let dead people drive. Yeah, whatever. Well, <laughs> okay. There's some drivers that I've seen that maybe whatever. Yeah, right. Um, my dad was one of them. <laughs> he was not a healthy person. Yeah. Um, at any rate, so I keep my CDL as kind of like one of those Plan Z. Sure. Like if the world goes terribly wrong, people are still going to trans need to move stuff. Mm -hmm. Then I was thinking, what if they have self-driving cars, James? Now you're playing seats. <laughs> like where they have self-driving semis or something yeah. like this. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we will see that in our lifetime. Totally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We should. Mm -hmm. But it's but, yeah, go it's ahead. interesting how it's just I have that safety net way in the back of my head. And it's also if anyone needs help moving, I can drive a big truck. It's kind of well. Fun. That's cool. I'll keep that in mind if I'm ever moving. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that as a as a business owner, we all kind of go through that, and that's one of the things that really helps us take that risk, that that jump. Is well, I have this set of skills that that companies should find valuable. So even if this doesn't work out, if I try it for a year or two, I can always go back and get a job. Absolutely. And I think that that's that's why I tend to see people starting business after like 10, 15, 20 years of working somewhere else. One, they've built up some skills and expertise, but two, they have enough that they feel like they could jump back into the job pool if this business thing didn't work out. Yeah, that's exactly how when I started Doc Jams, that was it. Mm -hmm. I was making, I don't know, I was making 11 bucks an hour or something like that. Mm -hmm. And my thought process was I can find a crap job anytime. 
And it's interesting because I just had this conversation with one of my managers yesterday because I had a new employee reach out to me saying, hey, something's wrong with the training. Mm -hmm. This guy that you have training me doesn't know what's going on. In his defense, he's newer. But the way that he was communicating that was not the greatest. And so I had to reach out to him and just do some olive branch stuff on both ends, right? I called her, put together a new plan with a different trainer, mm -hmm. call him and say, look, you got to understand something. When we hire an employee, we've gone through this whole process to find them. They've checked a ton of boxes. They've made it through a bunch of hurdles. And we have to trust that they're going to be a good employee. We have to assume good intent. Right. Then we send them equipment, right? So now we're financially invested into them. And then on day two, when they say, hey, something's messed up about your training, this guy doesn't know what's going on, we have to trust that they have been in other jobs and other positions and that their goal is not to leave this job because they gave us warning. Mm -hmm. This woman reached out to me and said, hey, this is a thing. And she actually, it wasn't just like, this is terrible. She actually had bullet points of sure. problems that she had. And it was funny because the manager guy was just like, oh my gosh, we got to just get rid of her. Mm. And I'm like, eh, I feel like that's a little premature. Yeah. And I don't, in the end, I don't. maybe he's right. Maybe she's right. Who knows? Right. right. We'll find out in, I don't know, five years. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> After she's trained and been with us for a while. Yeah. But I guess my point is that I was trying to teach him that this employee is risking just as much with working with us mm -hmm. as as we are with hiring them. Right. And that she can go at any moment and find a job. We're in that, the way the workforce is now, or jobs are now, mm -hmm. you can find a job probably in minutes if you really wanted to. Right. And we're not exactly, I don't know, paying six figures or anything like that. So if she wanted to find a job equal in pay, if you look at pay alone, mm -hmm. work from home alone, she could probably find one. Mm -hmm. So we have to offer something better. And I believe that we do. But that starts, it's got to start on day one with the training so that they understand every single day they're saying, is this worth the risk? Right. And we have to make sure it is. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get a response from that from that guy yet. So I have to think about that <laughs> from my manager <laughs> guy. Because I got in my, my soapbox a little bit to let him know this is a big deal. Yeah. That's our job to take care of the people and then the people can take care of our clients. But. Well, and I think that that is uh, a really interesting point of leaning into risk because you... There are certain things that you can plan for when you hire a new mm -hmm. employee, right? You're you're planning that you're going to send them equipment and they're going to go through this training process and they're not going to be 100% efficient at the beginning, right? But then to your point, there's also certain things that you need to react to. And this seems like one of those things where it kind of came up. You, you know, may not have had a plan for this thing to come up, but now that this has been brought to light, you're taking the opportunity to try to make it better. Because right. you can't plan for every contingency. No. You're not going to think of everything that could happen in the world. I always think of the wolf from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Right? you got to be the wolf. Be <laughs> just like, okay, we got a car with a bunch of brains in the back. <laughs> Fix it, right? There was next to no emotion. Yeah. Right. He has more emotion about the coffee than he did about just this, we got to fix this problem. Yeah. Let's just fix it and move mm -hmm. on with our lives. And it's one of those, like, you got to have that mindset where you can't cry you can't scream. Mm -hmm. I don't, you want to reduce to a point a little bit of the laughter and just get the job done. Yeah. And then move forward, right? Right. So I think it's, I got a call from my sister on the way here this morning. That, oh, uh, is that good? It is good. Okay. I talk to her every day. So okay. it wasn't, that's not out of the norm. But uh, my nephew just got his driver's license oh. maybe two weeks ago. And he's been working hard the past two summers to pay off to earn this truck. 
and he's a farm kid. It's to him, it was this cool truck. It was like a flatbed, everything he wanted. He's been polishing it for two weeks. Like, oh, nice! You know, kid in his first car, loving it, and he really wrecked it this morning with a deer. Oh no! It like just came out of the ditch, and he just took it out. She's like, I went down to see the truck, and it is just like this kid's heart is broken. Oh no! And it's so interesting because all right, this just happened, right? And so clearly there's some emotion yeah. going on, and his babies all crash. But what when we get to the other side of this, I really want to see he leaned into the risk, and this is an immediate choice, right? When a deer comes out in front of you, you either swerve or you hit it. Right? Yeah, hit the brakes. Yeah. Don't well, swerve. hopefully you hit the brakes. <laughs> and you don't swerve, right? But he's 16, so sure. he's never had to actually go through the thing. All right. Right? So I said to be proud of him in this situation that, one, his brother was with him in the car. All right. You know, in the truck. And it could have ended. They're both fine. It could have ended a lot worse. Like, you yeah. hear about accidents swerve, where people swerve roll. to hit the deer and they roll or to miss the deer. And so I was like... At some point, he's going to realize that he has the right instincts, that in that moment, while it was a risky moment, he made the right move. Right. And he couldn't have, like, I'm sure they talked about that stuff, right? But in the moment, you have to make a gut reaction. Mm -hmm. And you don't expect that to happen. No. But I'm like, so someday you'll be able to tell him that you're proud, that he didn't swerve, and that everyone's okay. But for now, you can let him be sad. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I guess in that scenario, you wonder how much math is your head doing where right. it's like, I love my truck, so I will sacrifice the truck for my brother? Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> the truck's going down, right? Well, and I think that ration versus emotion, you mm -hmm. know, I'm sure that there was, there's the right thing to do, and then there's the emotional thing to do. Mm -hmm. And if he would have had more time, maybe he would have made a different decision. <laughs> brother for truck, done. Yeah, right? right? Oh, my goodness. But... Uh, ultimately, there are a lot of risks that we take, not just in our business, but in living mm -hmm. every day. So I think the more that we can lean into that and, and then just evaluate, did that work? Did it not? How can I evaluate risk better in the future is mm -hmm. really the best way for us to move forward. Yeah, you raise an ex excellent point because you make that decision, right? You're going to do this risky thing. Yeah. But it's not to say that you can't adapt as you're going through, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to start your business, whatever. Uh, I started my business coaching business, mm -hmm. and that has evolved, mm -hmm. right? I started the printer repair business that had to evolve because printers did different things right. and all this kind of stuff, right? Sell it, move on. But it was interesting, even especially with the business thing. People are like, hey, I remember when I sold my business, they said you got rid of your baby. And I never perceived my business as my baby. Oh, I'm that's like, interesting. My business was a tool to accomplish goals that I had. I yeah. never, like they didn't say when you quit your job, you quit your baby. Right. But business, <laughs> they considered it. I'm like, that business was a huge pain in the butt. I was right. making less than minimum wage. Right? <laughs> when you factor everything I put into it. Yeah, that yeah. was the worst baby in the world. <laughs> but it was interesting how people attached that analogy mm -hmm. to it. And I'm like, huh. That's not right at all. Not the way I perceive it anyways. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, though, is that they're recognizing the risk of starting a business in that particular situation. But I think that they also don't understand all of the day-to-day -day things that go into running a business mm -hmm. and keeping a business afloat if you aren't in it. Right. I consider, I told them it was like a boat because the rules about the boat, right? The best time to... The best two days in your life with a boat or when you buy it and when you <laughs> yeah, sell it. Right. Uh -huh. And I'm like, that's the same with a business. Yeah. To me, first day you buy it or that first week, it's honeymoon period, rainbows, moonbeams, you rah, rah. 
And then when you sell it, you're like, you know what? That is awesome. Yeah. Right. Look at all this garage space. Right? <laughs> and cash flow. Yeah, and cash flow. Yeah, and somebody else's headache. Right. All right. Well, this has been Diary of a Worthy Pursuit. Oh, I forgot what our tagline is. <laughs> Where we help you get what you truly want in life and in business because we're so busy talking about risk, we can't remember that. Yeah, tagline. right. Details. <laughs> All right. If you like this, please subscribe and uh, let us know what you want us to talk about in the future.